0: This is episode number eight with professional ultra endurance athlete and author of the ultra mindset, Travis Macy. All right, Travis. Thanks so much for being here, man. I'm excited to talk with you. You're a man of many talents.
1: Oh, thanks a lot, Jason. It's it's great to be here. Awesome to uh, be with your listeners as well. Just uh, so excited that uh, that you're launching this podcast and, and doing a great job with it. Uh, as always, it's it's really been uh, it's been fun for me to you know track your your coaching and your your entrepreneurial. Uh, drive and, and everything that you do. And it's, it's just uh, it's cool to be part of it.
0: Well, thanks, Travis. I appreciate that. Now, y- you, on the other hand, are, are <laughs> you're quite the endurance athlete's renaissance man. You've done everything from triathlon, snowshoe racing, ski mountaineering, rock climbing, ultramarathons, mountain biking, and multi-day adventure races. Um, is it safe to say that you have a healthy addiction to the outdoors?
1: oh uh, yeah i you know i I mean I guess uh, you know I don't know if I'd say addiction maybe, maybe to some degree you know i i like uh I, I like being outside you know it um I, I like doing different things I, I think for me um you know sort of having a variety of uh sports that that I enjoy and then I can pursue from time to time that's kind of Kept it fresh over the years, and, and allowed me to, you know, kind of stay serious about things for an extended um, period of time. And uh, yeah, I just I love being outside in the mountains. You know, I mean, we're we're uh, we're here in Colorado, and we got our really kind of our first uh, snowfall last night, as as you know. So here in Evergreen, we got three or four inches of, of fresh snow yesterday, and. Man, today it's just a sunny, beautiful bluebird morning, and uh, you know there's nowhere I want to be other than just run around outside here.
0: Now, with our first snow of the season here in Colorado, are you planning on going outside today and uh, summoning any mountains or doing something outdoors? Uh,
1: Yeah, I I went out this morning, Uh, so I yeah I went for for a little trail run here, kind of in in the uh, elk meadow area, sort of on the north side of Evergreen, just. uh, right from my house and uh yeah it was it was awesome you know as as usual when it's cold out in the morning you start out and you're like oh it's gonna be so cold and miserable and then about five minutes in you realize it's it's actually pretty comfortable and and then the sun comes up and then it's then it's awesome so uh yeah i got got out this morning and then, then uh kind of got the rest of the day got a lot of phone calls with with coaching clients and some people who are taking my my distance learning course on mindset and uh that's pretty much how I like to spend the day.
0: Yeah. Now we, we went for a run last fall and we did go through the, I think the same area that you Mm -hmm. ran in today. Was that a similar run that we did last year? I think we did about roughly 10 miles or so. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Probably almost the same, uh, loop. And, uh, yeah, we, um, my family and I moved a a few months ago and we, we now live kind of at a point, basically right along that loop. Um, that we did so uh yeah it's uh it's convenient
0: yeah and you know we talked a little bit about how you you just do so many different things and in your book the ultra mindset you refer to yourself as a professional multi-sport ultra endurance mountain athlete do you have a particular favorite discipline out of everything that you've done over the years
1: oh boy you know that's a good question i mean you know my my main sport over the last uh you know, three years has, has been ultra running, you know, kind of with the, with a mountain focus, you know, I like the, the hilly technical, uh, slower sort of races. Um, but that said, I mean, I, you know, I, I love biking. I, I really like skiing. I like snowshoeing, you know, lots of times kind of, you know, whatever I'm doing, I, I really, uh, really like, and, and then, uh, you know, also if, if I sort of, you know, maybe get a little, Burnt out on one sport, or I've done a little much of it. You know, I I, I like to sort of do something else. You know, kind of this year by the end of the running season, I was you know it really had you know the last three years been running you know just running, uh kind of more than I'd ever really done in the past. And you know, I kind of got into September, October. I'm like, man, it's really nice out. Colorado is great. I I haven't done very much mountain biking recently, and it, it, that's what I've been doing a lot in the last. Uh, few months you know really till yesterday when it started snowing you know the day before yesterday I was out mountain biking with with shorts and a, and a bike jersey on and uh you know I've, I've really enjoyed that this fall and uh this this winter I think I'm gonna do a lot of um ski mountaineering which which again is you know more of a newer sport for me and um but but that makes it fun and that means there's a lot of room for growth and, and learning and I, I really like that you know I, li- I like to have a growth mindset and just try to try to get better at things
0: yeah absolutely and when we um went for our run about a year ago i remember doing a video afterwards A Q&A with coach video all about overtraining and mm-hmm. you had mentioned doing multiple types of sports and and being able to go cycling or um you know s- snowshoe uh running on the snow and that's such a great way to prevent potential over training. So uh, I think you really, you know, live what you preach. And uh, I like that. I respect that. And let, let's go back to the beginning. How did you first get into endurance sports? Was this something that you've you've always done since a young age? Well, you know, I
1: definitely grew up around it. Uh, you know, starting when I was when I was a little kid, you know, 1988, I was Five years old, and my dad signed up for the Leadville 100. Uh, you know, so it's it's the same good old Leadville 100 running course that that you do now. But uh, you know, things were different in those days. Obviously, less people, less technology. You know, people had much less of a you know kind of sense of of what they were doing, or the science, or gear, or anything. But it, in many ways, it was you know the, the same thing. People who are passionate about getting out there and, and, and doing something challenging, you know, that they may or may not uh, make it through and, you know, connecting with like-minded people, being out there in nature. So anyway, you know, that I, I remember that well, being five years old and being there in, uh, you know, in Leadville and, and downtown on, on 6th Street. And you got, uh, you know, Ken Kluber, the race director, you know, kind of classic Wild West sort of character, you know, shooting a shotgun at the start and, you know, he's in the pre-race meeting, meeting, you know, hooping and hawing about, you know, you're, you're better than you think you are. You could do more than you think you can commit not to quit. Um, you know, all these things that, that he was saying back then. And, and th- those things really kind of, they, they stuck with me. You know, I was obviously I was, I was just a little kid and, you know, I, I wasn't a runner. I, you know, I was, I played soccer and basketball and baseball and, you know, all your usual team sports growing up. And, you you know, my, my parents never like pushed me into being a runner or endurance athlete or anything, but I, you know, growing up around that, I kind of gravitated to it, uh, naturally. So, you know, in, in high school, I, I started running, you know, I was also playing soccer or basketball all the way through high school. So it wasn't like I was just running, but, uh, you know, got in running and you realized I liked it. And, you know, then, uh, um, I decided to go to college at, at CU Boulder. And, um, you know it wasn't definitely wasn't recruited by any means to to run there but they had a a tryout for for walk-ons and you know I worked really hard and kept showing the coach that I was interested coming all these summer runs and stuff and uh, you know went to the tryout and lo and behold I made the team so um, you know I ran ran for CU for for a couple years and then my junior year I um, decided I wanted to do triathlon so I CU has a a club triathlon team that's pretty competitive. So I joined that and, you know, that was, that was cool for a year. And then kind of my, uh, my senior year, I, I shifted to adventure racing as, as my primary focus, you know, starting to do these, um, uh, you know, team long team events, you know, at the, the, you know, that year that would have been, you know, probably two or three day events were, were the longest I would do. And then later on they became, you know, four or five, six day races. And, um, you know, so really at a, at, you know, quite a young age, 21, 22 years old, I was doing these, uh, you know, team races with experienced athletes in in their 30s and 40s, you know, kind of first racing, you know, around the state and then kind of domestically and, and then uh, internationally um, as well.
0: Yeah. So when you were at the University of Colorado at Boulder, you tried out for their cross country team. And was Mark Wetmore still the coach when you tried out for them?
1: Yep. Yeah. Wetmore was, uh, was the coach. So he, um, yeah, he had been, you know, I, I don't know when he started, he, he had been there a long time already and and then went on to, you know, continue coaching for long after, after that as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, is a, a, neat, unique coach and obviously has brought, you know, a lot of people and a lot of teams, uh, a ton of, uh, success, you know, he's, he's definitely, a you know no frills rough around the edges kind of guy you know i remember you know that 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 summer before walking on i mean man i probably called the guy 15 times on the phone you know before he would you know give me the time of day and then i kept showing up at his office and you know i kind of basically i just you know kept really trying to show that that i was interested and i think uh, you know without ever actually saying it i think he i think he saw that i think he could tell i was was excited and you know then there was there was the tryout and, you know, I think we had three spots and, you know, or there, there are three spots available. And I, you know, legitimately made the team with, with one of those three spots, but, you know, had I not kept showing up at the office, I don't think he would have even told me when the tryout was.
0: (laughs) Well, you're never going to get what you don't ask for. Uh, Now, when you were there, there were some other really big name athletes at University of Colorado at that time. Um, who, Who are some of the other runners that were on the team with you?
1: Yeah, so you know when I, I started as a freshman, that was also Dathan Ritzenhein's freshman year. Um, you know, so he obviously has gone on to be one of the you know top American runners, and he, you know was one of the greatest talents out of out of high school. And I, I, you know, I I was you know kind of in high school. I you know I was I don't know sheltered. I guess I did, I you know I never really knew what was going on you know in in the high school running world outside of Colorado I didn't I didn't even know like the Nike Foot Locker existed you know I didn't know they had these kind of national level competitions and you know I I remember kind of one of the first times I was with with Dathan I I think was on the way to the the tryout you know and and you know a bunch of us are kind of sitting there on like on this van that Wetmore's driving to the tryout course and And, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, high school times for the mile or two mile or, or whatever. And I, and I think Dathan said, said something like, yeah, I ran 1352. And, uh, my, my first thought was like, oh, that's, you know, that's not a very good two mile time. Like, you know,
0: who's this guy? (laughs) No, it's not. And
1: And then, you know, thankfully I didn't say anything and like five seconds later, I'm like, oh shit, this is like 5k time, you know, which is you know, literally three minutes faster than, you know, than, than my PR was. And, and, uh, yeah, so that was kind of a, you know, kind of a wake up call and it was, it was cool to run with, you know, those guys, Dathan and, you know, Jorge and Ed Torres, who, who, you know, were great runners and Steve Slattery, uh, you know, I think went to do some good post-collegiate running and, and then some younger guys, uh, as well. So, um, yeah, it was it was good to run with those guys. You know, looking back, I think my, you know, really my 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 training and my mindset were were very naive. You know, I I, I kind of like I remember telling myself like at the start of my freshman year when I made the team, I'm like, all right, now I'll, now I'm on the team. Like all I have to do is is run with Dathan every day, you know, and and I'll get fast. And that was in hindsight, obviously that was quite foolish. You know, he had much more experience than me. He he was faster. He was more talented and. You know, for me to try to run with him, especially on on you know like easy recovery days, um, you know, running with him and, and the other top guys or the older guys, that was um, really foolish. You know, I really kind of trained myself into a hole because I was just kind of trying to, to race every day or, or sort of you know prove myself instead of focusing on getting better. Um,
0: so yeah, those guys. Th- those guys their recovery pace is at a pace that is just grueling for mm-hmm. for most people um yeah. so oh, yeah. when you were trying to go for an easy run with them how fast were you guys running
1: well you know i mean you know i mean it was probably you know six minutes to 6 30 pace you know depending on the on the terrain you know that might have been on something like the you know the boulder creek path which is a fairly flat uh you know bike path kind of through town and Um, yeah, you know, my, my body definitely wasn't, wasn't ready for that. And, you know, I kind of, you know, really most of those two years, I would say very much underperformed in, in races because I was, you know, I I wasn't training smartly and I was going into races just super, super tired out.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, we're only a couple episodes into this podcast, but I think I have mentioned the importance of running really easy on your recovery days, mm-hmm. way more than once, probably two or three times. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that it is something that even um, you know early professional runners <laughs> had to deal with at a certain point in their yeah. career. Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: no, I I I totally support that. I mean, I you know I never you know, especially on easy days, I'm never looking at pace and I, I'm just cruising along. And, you know, if anything, maybe I'm looking at my heart rate and making sure that, that it's not going high, you know, and maybe that means walking up hill or, you know, something like that. And, and I, you know, I don't even look at miles like really in most runs and especially on easy days, you know, I, I kind of go for, you know, maybe have a kind of a loop in mind or a time in mind, but I also listen to my body and, and if anything, I'll do, do less if needed. Um, you know, that's like in easy days. That, that's why it's called an easy day. You know, people get people get locked up and, oh, my easy day pace needs to be this or whatever. And, well, you know, maybe some days it is that pace and other days it's not that pace. And, and if you walk into something for, for an easy day, then, then it's probably not doing its job.
0: Yeah, there's uh, you can you can go wrong quite a few ways, but focusing on performance metrics, on a day when you should not be focusing on performance is a really good way to uh sacrifice the quality of those recovery days
1: yeah yeah Um, physically and mentally you know i mean that's like you know you you don't want to be like totally dialed in and like hyper focused and obsessed on easy days like that that should be you know today i went out for a a run just because it was fun and it was nice to be in the snow and like enjoy a good place
0: yeah, and um, you know, looking back on kind of how you started with endurance sports, uh, you know, mostly running, and then you started getting into triathlon and then those uh, longer multi-day adventure races, uh, it seems like, you know, with you running track and cross-country first, it seems like you have a little bit more of a, you know, shorter distance speed background. Uh do you, do you think that had any physical or mental benefit for you as you transitioned over to the more uh, ultra-endurance type of events?
1: Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, you know, I, obviously, as you know, especially as an early athlete in my young 20s, you know, I probably had a lot more high-end explosivity and in, in speed, you know, maybe compared to some of the older athletes. Um, you know, that said, I, I kind of... I always sort of had a feeling, like, even in, in high school and collegiate running, like, I would be a bit, I would be much better off if, if the race were, you know, 10 times longer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it obviously wasn't just because of the distances, you know, that, that you run at, at those uh, levels. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think for, you know, most young runners, I mean, you know, you're in high school, you do the mile, two mile, 5K. Then if you're running college, maybe, maybe they're a little little longer and, you know, maybe then you do, do longer races after that. Um, you know, I definitely made a pretty abrupt jump, you know, kind of going from, you know, my junior year of college was two hour triathlons. And then, you know, kind of immediately after that, you know, I was doing races that were, you know, six hours, 12 hours, two or three days. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't, uh, necessarily follow, you know, some people are like, oh, you got to do the 10K for a few years, then you do half marathon, then you do a full marathon. And, you know, um, I, I just kind of, you know, jumped right into long stuff and liked it. And, you know, I think some of that was b- being used to it. Per- perspective is so huge for this long stuff and, and ha- having had a, a perspective of it's normal to run 100 miles or do a long adventure race, that was that was um, a huge advantage that that I had over someone who maybe previously they thought a half marathon
0: was really long. Yeah, you certainly grew up in a situation where you were exposed to ultra endurance events and it was normalized for you. So you, I don't yep. think you had some of those mental roadblocks to tackling some of those really long events. Um, now, when you when you started getting into those adventure races, and I, I don't think a lot of people know what an adventure race is. Can you ex- can you kind of describe a, a one of the adventure races that you did?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Jason, because you're right about that, that term adventure race, you know, the last few years, it it has come to be applied at times to things, you know, maybe like an obstacle course race or, you know, one of these mud runs where you do 5k and you're rolling around in the mud and doing, you know, obstacles and stuff like that. And, And those are, you know, those are, those are cool, neat sports, I think, but, you know, not what I think of as as an adventure race. And, you know, the, the adventure races that I think of are things like, uh, you know, many years ago there was this discovery channel eco challenge. That was like a huge TV event, you know, late nineties, early, early two thousands. And, um, you know, so these, these adventure races, basically it's, a, you know, typically a, a long distance race. Usually you have a co-ed team of, of four athletes, and uh you're doing a variety of of sports so there there's uh trekking which uh you know trekking that that may mean running maybe it's hiking maybe it's you know you're hiking on uphills and and you're uh you know you're you're running on downhills or or maybe you know maybe trying to stay awake on your feet and you're just (laughs) stumbling around in a daze you know at its worst so you know there's trekking there's mountain biking there's almost always some kind of paddling so that could be canoes kayaks rafts pack rafts uh you know various things um there's almost always fixed ropes of some sort so you know you get to a big rocky area and they maybe it's a rappel and a tyrolean traverse which is kind of a you know a rope between two cliffs or something uh you know and maybe an ascent where you're going up a fixed rope um you know, those are the kind of the the core sports. Um, Navigation is a huge piece of this sport because whereas, you know, on an ultra run or a triathlon or, you know, a road run, you have a set course, you know, that's marked. Well, that's very different in an adventure race. Typically in adventure racing, there's checkpoints, you know, that are out in the woods or, you know, wherever they are out in a town, something like that. And you're, you're navigating with a map and compass uh, from checkpoint to checkpoint. So that's, that's huge, and and then most of the races are are round the clock. So, you know, it may be uh, you know, I remember one um, big race that we did in Canada. It was called the Raid World Championship, and and the course was was right about a thousand kilometers. So, you know, six hundred something miles, and it, you know, it's a straight start to finish race of of six hundred miles of these various sports that you're you know shifting back and forth between um and you got to figure out you know when when are you going to sleep when are you going to push through you know how much are you sleeping are you sleeping during the day are you sleeping at night uh you know all that kind of stuff it's um it's really a neat dynamic sport and, and it happens in all terrains it could be desert it could be you know mountains it could be winter it could be super hot it, it could you know many of these races are, are almost all of the above you're, you're really hot during the day and then you're freezing cold at night and then it's raining and, uh, you know, it's, it's really a, a neat dynamic thing. And, it, um, I, I get to see a lot of cool places around the world doing this.
0: Now, how do you put together a team for a race like that? Are, are there certain people who specialize in <sighs> navigation and, or, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, if you want to have a good team, like everyone's got to be good at everything. Uh, you know, everyone's got to be good on their feet good mountain biking, good paddling, and, and, you know, technically proficient on, on the ropes, um, you know, and just mentally tough, you know, everyone's got, got, got to be tough. Everyone's got to have a great team mindset. Everyone's got to be willing to help and, and willing to accept help. Uh, you know, that, that can be a huge thing. So, some people are, you know, they have so much of an ego they they won't accept help when they need it. And that's, you know, that messes up everything. Um, so everyone's got to have all those. And, and then from there, yes, something like navigation, typically, you know, a, a real good team will have at least one person who, who is a great navigator, which means, you know, they've done quite a bit of, of let's say, orienteering, which is a navigation specific sport. Um, you know, so you need someone who's, who's high level at that. And, and then you might also, you know, then it also varies from race to race. So, you know, maybe you're doing a race you know, we did the world championship in, in Brazil and, and that had a whole bunch of paddling, you know, ocean paddling, you're paddling along the, the coastline. So that was like, you know, man, we should, you know, maybe, maybe we'll recruit one of these, uh, Aussies or Kiwis who are, who are great paddlers because that'll really help on that. Or, or, uh, you know, maybe it's a high altitude mountain race and we know there's a whole bunch of mountain biking. It's like, okay, well that'll be, you know, typically, you know, I was on, some of the top American teams. And that, that would usually be good for us. Usually like we were, you know, kind of better mountain biking than some of the other teams from other countries. So it'd be like, okay, this is, this is good. We're going to, you know, we're going to have our bread and butter with this mountain biking and high altitude trekking kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. And these days you're doing a lot more running, um, and a lot more mountain biking. I'm curious because I'm, I'm such a training geek. I just love hearing how people structure their day around their training, especially at really high levels. Can you describe what a typical training week looks like for you in terms of, um, let's say you're getting ready for an ultra marathon, you know, what kind of mileage, long runs, workouts do you incorporate within that week?
1: Yep. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. You know, let's say, you know, for example, like, you know, looking back on this, this year, I, I did uh, three ultras I I did um, in, in January, I did the hurt 100 in in Hawaii. So that's kind of a um, really neat, uh, challenging um, technical hundred mile run in, in Hawaii with a lot of up and down really technical trails, you know, rocky, rooty, slippery, muddy, um, and, and, a lot of, of, uh, up and down, you know, like, I mean, I think the, the vertical in that race is probably like, I don't know, maybe around twice of what you would get in like the Leadville 100. So a lot of up and down. So I did that. And then I did, uh, two 50 milers in Colorado. One was the collegiate peaks 50 and the other one was the San Juan solstice 50. So anyway, you know, in a, in a typical week to, to prepare for one of those races, um, I, I usually do, uh, six runs, um, y- you know, in, in singles, uh, I always take one day off a week, um, cause I think that's good for my family and good for my body and my mind. And, and then out of those, uh, six runs, you know, kind of starting with, with the easy days, those are, uh, like we said, I, I think those are kind of a, you know, a foundation almost of the, of the system, making sure you know, you got enough real, real easy days. So there'd be a couple of those, you know, that easy day probably be, you know, something like, I don't know, maybe six, seven, eight miles, uh, fairly flat. You know, that, that means, or in Evergreen, that's probably like, I don't know, a thousand feet of gain or, or less. Um, You know, i would then have uh, a long run, which I think is, you know, fairly typical to a lot of programs and, you know, usually for me, that maybe would be around 20 miles. And, um, uh, one thing I really try to do in, in my long runs is, uh, tailor that to the race that's coming up as, as far as, uh, you know, vertical feet per mile. So let's say, you know, if I was doing a hundred mile run that, that had, you know, 25,000 feet of, of, uh, vertical gain to it. Well, then in my 20 mile long run, uh, you know, that, that would be, well, it's one fifth of, of the distance of the race. So, you know, then I do one fifth of vertical. So, you know, pretty typical for me would be a, a long run of 20 miles with like 5,000 feet of, of climbing. Um, you know, and that, that's usually, that would often be around here in Evergreen, Colorado, which, which would be, you know, pretty much between like 7,500 and, you know, 10,000 feet of, of, uh, elevation, you know, depending on where I am, or sometimes I'll go, you know, if I have a high altitude race, I would often go up and do that like on a 14er. You know, Grays and, and Tories are are close 14ers to here. Or or maybe if it was in the winter, I might drive down, you know, kind of the, the Denver golden area, maybe where there's a little less less snow. Um, so we got the easy runs, we got the long runs, and and then that, uh, you know, leaves us with, with a few other runs. You know, one of those usually would be a kind of a vertical specific run where I'm doing um, some, some very – uh, specific work with with up and downhill so that could be you know um, shorter pushes or maybe longer tempo climbs or like there there's a trail on Bergen Peak here in Evergreen that I do a lot that, that's uh, you know a real steep trail that gains 2,000 feet and uh, I don't know probably two or two and a half miles so you know going up up and down that one or two or or three times um, and then I, I would typically, you know, kind of the, the other runs might be a little bit, you know, float, if you will. So kind of the, the, long run and the, you know, vertical run are kind of sort of the, the keys. And then, then the couple other runs that exist, well, you know, depending on where I'm at in a, in a different period or how, how I'm feeling recovery wise, there may be a, a more of a, a speed workout uh, mixed in, you know, that could be a, maybe it's a fart lick that's a bit flatter or maybe something more, more structured, you know, doing actual intervals on, on flat ground. Um, you know, and then typically the other one might be just sort of what I think of as a medium distance, uh, you know, sort of float run kind of going, going how you feel, you know, maybe it's vertical focused, maybe it's distance focused. Um, you know, so that's kind of a, I don't know, in in a nutshell, a rough estimation. And, you know, probably as as you're familiar with and maybe many listeners are, you know, there's very different uh, periods and focuses throughout the year. So, you know, things definitely change. Kind of what I described might be more of kind of in the summer with with a race coming up, you know, whatever, a month or two away.
0: Right. Now the, the six runs that you do a week, how much weekly mileage would you say that that typically is, or or maybe you can just give us a range between, you know, what is very manageable for you versus what you might do in a, in a peak week as you gear up for a hundred.
1: Yeah, no, great question for, for me, you know, probably even in heavy training that, that usually would come out to like 60 to 75 miles a week. Um, so not, not a ton of mileage. Um, but just as, you know, when I kind of look back on the week, like probably more important to me than the mileage typically would, would be the total vertical gain. Um, you know, so probably we'd, we'd be shooting for something, you know, again, depending on the week, maybe like, I don't know, 16, to maybe 20, 21, 22,000 feet of gain, um, for the week. So, you know, really not that much mileage, but, but, you know, these, these are good miles done at altitude in the hills.
0: Yeah, there's certainly a lot of quality there. Now, do you incorporate any cross training into into your week? I mean, I know that you do so many other disciplines. Do you do you kind of formally include any uh, cycling or strength workouts or anything like that, even as you gear up to a uh, a running race?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, definitely, you know, kind of like I said in sort of this this fall off season, you know, it's pretty much been all biking. You know, I've maybe run once or twice a week, but just sort of kind of as I feel like it, or like you know, or it's colder out and I don't feel like biking, so I go running, or something like that. But um, you know, kind of in the running focus part, it's definitely mostly running, but but definitely maybe some biking mixed in, and, and especially you know, one thing that's u- unique about ultra running is, is it's almost like every race is sort of its own season, kind of like you, you know, you do a race that's you know, 50 miles, 100k, 100 miles, it's like. your your body's going to be really beat up. And my my opinion is like, you need to honor that and give your body some time to relax. So that might mean, you know, the one week, two weeks, three weeks after a race, you know, even if that's, you know, sort of the middle of the summer, which is maybe kind of thought as the racing season, you know, during that period, there's a lot of, uh, you know, for me swimming, easy biking, uh, hiking, you know, walking around the neighborhood, doing a lot of those things and, and really waiting to run, kind of till I'm ready. Um so that's kind of, you know, when it's mostly mixed in is is those times. Um and then yes, strength and, and mobility work I th- I think are essential. And I know that's, you know, a big piece of your program as as well. But on a you know on a daily basis I do uh push ups and pull ups are kind of, you know, my, my staples for upper body. Um, you know, a lot of core work pretty much every day. Uh, I, I use a you know a roller uh, every single night, that's, that's huge for me using a, a rope to do some, um, dynamic, uh, dynamic legs, uh, stretches. And then, um, also doing, you know, um, typically like one day a week, you know, I'll do a, a focused, uh, gym workout, um, you know, primarily upper body, but maybe some lower body stuff as well. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's really important. And I, you know, I definitely focus on overall body, body strength for sure.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds well rounded and, uh, it also sounds very specific to whatever you're training for. So if it's a very mountainous race, you're mm-hmm. really focusing on vertical, uh, and, and I, I'd love to hear that. Now, you, we can't really talk about ultra endurance events without talking about the mental side of things. Cause I think, you know, a lot of people can wrap their head around how you can go running for 20 hours or 24 hours, but, what do you think about for, for a whole day worth of running? And when, when we first met uh, last year at the National Endurance Sports Summit, I was really impressed with the talk that you gave and specifically how you handle adversity and all the inevitable obstacles that come up during uh, ultra endurance events. And you have this concept that you talk about in your book, the ultra mindset, of it's all mental training. Can you go into mm-hmm. that a little bit and talk about how you prepare mentally for some of these very long events?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Jason. And and, and I think you know maybe a a good place to start with with this mental stuff is is just taking the the view that um, the the mental Side of running is is so essential, and that's, you know, that's true. If you're running in an 800 meter on the track, or if you're doing a 10k or a marathon or, or or an ultra run, and and I think sometimes, you know, unfortunately, people may overlook it. You know, they're they're doing all this this physical training. They got a great program, and you know they're doing the, you know, they're working with the coach or with a group or or whatever you know, they, they just sort of assume that like by doing that, they're, they're going to gain all the mental skills that they need. And, you know, you probably will the act of going out and and running and, you know, doing hard workouts and getting up early in the morning. I mean, that's, that's all very good, but I, I think there's more that can be done. And so the, the first key really to, you know, this, this mental stuff is, is to view the mental side of, of running and really the mental side of life is, as a, as a skill and something that you can learn and practice and build just like you would, you know, your aerobic fitness or your finishing kick or, you know, your nutrition program. Um, So that's a, that's a key place to start. And that, that kind of, you know, ties into the the first principle that I, that I discuss in my book, like you mentioned, which is, which is called, it's all good mental training. And that's just kind of simply the idea that, and when you're going through something challenging, you know, maybe it's in running, you got the challenging workout or God, you got your long run and it's, you know, raining out or it's snowing or, you know, to get in this long run, you know, on Saturday, you're going to have to, you know, start at 5 a.m. when it's when it's 10 below zero or, you know, whatever, you know, doing something hard like that, you know, kind of the brain's natural thing is, you know, to sort of slip into this, you know, victim or, you know, kind of whining, sort of mindset. And, and, uh, you know, that's one choice you have or your other choices is, is you could tell yourself a, a story like, uh, okay, I'm doing something hard right now, but this is good mental training by, by doing this challenging thing. I'm, you know, building some, some resilience and, and some toughness that I can then apply later in my race or, or in my, in my work or, or in my parenting, um, you know, the other, you know, what, what other, whatever other important things you have in life.
0: Yeah, I specifically remember looking back on on my running career, especially when I was training a lot more and racing more frequently. The it's it seems like the harder the workouts, the more adversity I dealt with during training. And that's everything from the weather to how early I woke up every morning to get in my runs. Mm -hmm. uh, It just seemed like it transferred really well to my racing. And I remembered all of you know, all the adversity that I went through. And it seems like, you know, as much as we train to sort of, um, enable us to physically withstand, you know, what, what we're trying to do on race day, we also have to deal with the mental realities of doing something really challenging and putting ourselves through something that's really challenging, uh, you know, during training is one of the best ways to prepare yourself for it mentally on race day. And I think, uh, you know, go, going through the training is is one thing, but you know, it's also important just to remember uh, that you are going to experience hardship, or you're you are going to experience that little voice in the back of your head that tells you you should slow down, you should stop, you should quit. And if you've thought about how you're going to deal with that situation. During training, then you're going to be much better prepared to deal with that little voice on race day, and so I, I think that's uh, a really important point that you brought up, Travis.
1: Thought about it and and practiced it. You know, that's one of the things that, that we do in you know my distance learning course on mindset is is we're very closely analyzing. You know, what are the the skills and strategies and stories and tools that that work for you? You know, because the things that work for you. Jason, maybe a little bit different for for me and for, you know, someone else. And and you really want to figure out what is just like a runner, you know, would figure out, okay, what is my specific, uh, you know, in race nutrition program for for my marathon? Well, you want to figure out what's your you know, what's your mental program and what's going to work for you and and make sure that you've you've tried those things and and they do work for you.
0: Right. And I think it's important to note, too, that your mental toughness and your ability to, uh, handle and deal with a lot of that adversity that you're going to experience on race day is just like a muscle. And Mm -hmm. just like a muscle, if you don't use it, it will start to atrophy. So, uh, constantly challenging yourself mentally while you're training, uh, I think is a valuable uh, thing to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, And, and just like a muscle, like it, it needs, uh, to be relaxed as well. You know, I mean, if, if you just maxed out your biceps every single day, you know, probably after two or three days of that, like you wouldn't be able to lift anything. They, they couldn't move. And, you know, the, the, the brain is, is the same way. And that's why it's so important to have these, these rest times, these recovery times, you know, mental recovery times or maybe doing mindfulness exercises or making sure that you have, uh, mental downtime i think in, in, in some ways for you know runners distance runners especially you know we, we have uh, you know this this obsession or this compulsion to you know always be pushing always be you know hammering always be doing the next thing and 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 sometimes that uh, you know that can go overboard
0: Yeah, you certainly can. And I think a lot of runners are type A types of runners who, you know, they're always looking at their splits, they're always looking at their mileage, and they're probably be better off taking some downtime every now and then mentally from the sport. And that's why I always like to build in strategic off times during the year for my athletes so that they can practice not being a runner, where they can not think about running, not worry about their training. Uh, And you're absolutely right, Travis, that. The mental side of things, just like a muscle, you can get very fatigued. Uh, mm-hmm. And the literature really supports this. You know, we can look at uh, – yeah topics like decision fatigue, and how the more decisions you have to make over the course of the day, by the end of the day, your ability to make good decisions is actually diminished. And I think that's really, really fascinating. Uh, And then of course, we can look at stress, the more stress you have in your life, the harder it is for you to really excel as an athlete, you know, looking back on, you know, my college career, and I'm sure this rings true for you too, Travis, during periods when you're writing papers and you're finishing your midterms and you have all of that, uh, schoolwork do, uh, at least for me, our coaches knew that and they planned training a little bit differently during those peak weeks of high stress because they knew that if they were challenging us physically and we were being challenged mentally in the classroom that, you know, something's going to break. And I think it's really important to find a balance between the two.
1: Yeah. No, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And that's the same thing, you know, for my coaching clients, I always highly recommend, you know, that, that off season and, or, or, you know, like we said with ultra runs, you know, very intentional times, especially after races to, um, rest physically and and mentally. And, um, you know, I do a, a, a monthly column in, in ultra running magazine and, and there's going to be an issue, uh, early in 2017, that's, that's focused on this topic of, of overtraining syndrome. And, you know, what does that mean? And how does that, how does that manifest? And there's definitely, you know, I think some more, you know, science and, and writing and experiences um, coming out about that, especially in in the ultra running uh, world. And I think it's uh, really worth experiencing, you know, and, and, and you're right, the, you know, the brain kind of, you know, stress, whether it's, stress from hard training or, or from work or from, you know, parenting or, you know, relationships, whatever, you know, the, the brain kind of looks at all of that uh, similarly, you know, and, and, and it really can all add up.
0: Yeah, stress is stress. Uh, now, Travis, when you look back on your your racing career and all the different crazy events that you've done, has there been a particular race where you felt like you were really challenged mentally uh that you know you got through but you know you were tested and uh looking back on it it was maybe a, a turning point or a defining moment for you
1: yeah <laughs> there's been a lot of those you know and i mean that's that's one of the cool things again about endurance racing i mean you can get that and you can get that in a 10k you can get it in you know a marathon a half marathon you know whatever i you know that's that's happened um so many times. I, I, I mean, uh, one of the ones I write about in my book was, was, you know, probably my, my first expedition length adventure race. So this is, you know, kind of the nonstop four five, six day, you know, adventure race, um, where, you know, one unique thing, if you're, if you're going for more than one night sleep deprivation, um, is, is going to be a, you know, big piece of the puzzle. Um, and, and that for me, sleep deprivation is, you know, probably one of the most challenging aspects of these multi-day races, just because it is, it is so hard and you don't know how it's going to affect you and it may affect you differently at different times. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's really, really, really hard. So, um, you know, that, that kind of, uh, I guess it would have been, you know, maybe, i don't know 2005 i had, i had literally i graduated college like i don't know two weeks earlier you know i found myself in in sweden with one of the top american uh teams at at the time we were sponsored by uh soul you know the the uh orthotic uh things so we were team soul and um you know i was uh, you know th- racing with three really experienced athletes you know they were all in their late thirties, early forties. They had done a, uh, you know, a ton of races and stuff. And, uh, you know, here I was literally two weeks out of out of college and, you know, doing this four or five day nonstop adventure race and way up in Northern Sweden, it was, it was May and it was all snowy and cold and, you know, icy and that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I th- I think for me go, go going that low and, and you know, it was, it was kind of a perspective breakthrough, like, okay, I can, you know, I can get this low or this tired or you know cold or or you know broken down, whatever. But but I can still keep going and, and thing, things are okay and I'll bounce back and I can I can rely on my teammates and my teammates can rely on me and we can you know we can figure things out. And if one person is so sleepy that they can't read the map, you know, then then another person will will read it and and you know get us through. And we did all that and uh, you know it, it turned out fine. And you know, kind of doing that, I was like, wow. Man, I made it through you know this this darn race in Sweden. I can probably make it through just about whatever I want to.
0: It seems like you have this never-ending well of positivity. That uh, no matter what kind of event you're in, no matter how tired, sore, fatigued, cold you are, you see the silver lining. Is that something that you think is unique to to ultra endurance athletes?
1: Probably a lot of people who pursue in endurance athletics, you know, whether it's at the ultra distance or, or not, you know, it's, you know, the, these kind of things maybe attract people with a bit of that mindset. And, and, but, the, but then it also snowballs, you know, you, you have these experiences and, you know, sometimes you achieve your goal and sometimes you don't achieve your goal. And, you know, it just becomes kind of this this uh, journey that, that you keep uh, keep growing with. So, um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess maybe the answer is yes. And, and, you know, I also want to say, I mean, you know, that may, maybe that's the perception, but but I, I also want to make it really clear. And I try to do this in my book. I mean, you know, I, I have low points and challenging points and, and uh, insecure points and, you know, anxiety, fear, doubt, you know, all of these things. I, you know, no one is immune to those. Uh, sometimes we, we, we have this idea that, oh, here's someone who's you know, achieve some level of success in in sports or business or you know whatever, and well, they must be destined from above with these special powers or something like that. And you know, I, I don't think that's true. Everyone has their their doubts, their fears, their their worries, their their low times, and uh, you know, I, I have those just like anyone else.
0: And I think the measure of a person is how well they can rise above all of those insecurities and fears and doubts and become something greater than that and whether that's through running parenting or anything else it's uh something that i think perhaps maybe all of us should strive for
1: yeah i think so too and, and just uh you know i don't know one, one of the things my my dad used to say and i talk about this book is is, is uh keep the faith you know and, and uh, i mean for us that's not necessarily in, in a religious sense but almost more of you know keep the faith in in yourself and keep the faith that, that things uh will work out and, and i think one of the best things that, that you learn in in doing these real long races, you know, you're running 100 miles. Like you can go way, way downhill and feel really, really bad. But usually, if if you stay positive and you and 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 you eat and drink, you know, eating's huge. Usually, you'll, you'll feel a little bit better, and, and and actually, you'll bounce out of it, and pretty soon you're you're cruising along again. And I just I think that's a great metaphor for for life because things can go way downhill and and get you know, really hard, but but you you can and you will bounce back, um, you know, as long as you as you as you keep trying.
0: That reminds me of the quote, if you don't believe in you, why should anyone else? And Mm -hmm. I really like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, one one of the principles in my book is is called have an ego and use it. And that's, you know, kinda what I mean. I, I don't mean have an ego, you know, like I don't know, maybe like some uh, recent uh, presidential candidates, you might say, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, have an ego in the sense of like, believe in yourself, you know, believe that, that you can, uh, you know, that, that you can do it, that, that you can persevere.
0: Yeah. Now let's talk about some of your other things that you do in life because you, you do so much, Travis. I mean, you, you have, uh, you have children, you uh, you are a teacher, now you're a coach, you do a lot of writing, you host workshops and give talks, you do private college admissions counseling. Let's talk about time management. What <laughs> what does a typical day look like for you when you're juggling all of these different responsibilities?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, my day usually, I, I I like to get up early, you know, kind of before the family, so then maybe that's five, five 30. And that, that, um, morning time, I, I really like, you know, and I, th- I think probably a lot of other runners can relate to this, wh- whether you're out running then, or maybe it's other stuff, maybe it's work, maybe it's, you know, sort of your, your me time to sit and, and be centered or something like that. I've, I've recently uh, taken to doing like some, some guided meditation in the morning. Uh, you know, it's nothing fancy. It's like a little 10 minute thing I found on YouTube, but that's, I, I really like that. So, you know that's kind of first thing in the morning, and then, then usually I'm, I'm, uh, you know, doing some work for an hour, an hour and a half till, till the kids get up. Um, f- for me, the first thing in the morning I feel like is a good time for for like creative work. So you know, not by definition, not responding to email, but more of the the creative stuff. So that could be, you know, creating programming for the athletes I coach or creating you know, marketing stuff or, or writing curriculum, uh, you know, for, for my mindset course. So that kind of the, the mental heavy lifting for me, it seems to work well to do that in the morning. Uh, you know, so then after that, the, the, the kids wake up and, and my wife wakes up and you, usually we like to spend some time together, just kind of eating breakfast, uh, you know, getting, getting ready for school, uh, that, that, uh, that whirlwind can be quite a bit of work. Just, and getting getting lunches packed and snow pants and jackets and all that kind of stuff. Uh,
0: <laughs> I feel the pain, Travis. Believe me. Yeah,
1: you, yeah. You know, it's, it seems simple. You're like, oh, all I have to do is like, you know, get a little kid to school, and like, somehow that becomes, you know, way harder than going out for a 20 mile run or whatever. So, uh, you know, anyway, then then we do that. Usually, I take the the kids to school, and and that brings me to like about nine o'clock, and most days that's kind of my my training window. You know, nine till. 10 or 11 or 12 or, you know, whatever it is, depending on the workout. So, you know, kind of do the mid morning workout that, that, uh, you know, brings me whatever till mid morning or or afternoon, uh, you know, come back, uh, eat eat a salad or something good for lunch. And, And then kind of my, my second main work window of the day is that mid afternoon time of, of, uh, you know, that's where maybe it's more creative stuff or maybe it's more that, you know, kind of maintenance work, you know, of, of the emails and, you know that um, that kind of stuff, or you know, phone calls, things like this. Um, you know, and then that usually takes me till three thirty. That's that's when the kids are done with school. So usually pick up pick up them and uh, you know, kind of family time throughout the the afternoon and evening, and then maybe a little more um, kind of nighttime work. So that uh, you know, that'd be sort of the the you know typical typical work. Some days are different. You know, some days especially you know, like you said, my, my wife and I have a independent, uh, college counseling business where we work with high school students on transitioning to college. So that's kind of mostly Amy stuff, but I still do, uh, you know, a decent amount there and and we do, um, you know, sometimes we have evening or, or especially like, uh, meetings on, on Sundays with, with those students. So that's kind of a piece of the picture. And, um, You know, being self-employed is is great because uh, you you can in some ways set your own schedule and manage things. You know, you've probably experienced that. And and it can be challenging, too, because, you know, setting the boundaries between, uh, you know, work time, family time, uh, you know, time for yourself to to rejuvenate. You know, those things can be uh, can be challenges.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And you know, you're right. I, I do have a fairly flexible schedule, and I, it's it's interesting that we sort of have very similar schedules. In that, I like to do a little bit of work in the morning, some of the the mental heavy lifting, and then mid to late morning is when I like to go for my run. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people can't structure their day like that, but you know th- that usually means that you know I'm often working at uh, you know, before most people are even out the door for work, because yep. I, you know, I have a home office, too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, then later, I'm working in the afternoon, and I'm often also working, you know, after 7pm sometimes. Yep. Uh, so it, it's just split up more. And uh, I think, for me, at least, it provides me a little bit of, of a mental break in between, you know, all of those certain blocks of time that I spend working. And uh, yep. I, I find it more effective when I do it that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And that, you know, maybe even, even for someone who works more of a standard nine to five, you know, who knows, maybe there's a way that you can, you know, instead of working for four hours straight, what if every hour you worked 53 minutes and then you took a seven minute break where you went for a walk or, you know, maybe you laid down in your office and you did some crunches or some pushups or, you know, something like that, that, that really may increase your productivity significantly.
0: And when I actually had a more standard 9-to-5 job, I did something like that where multiple times a day I would go for a 10-minute walk. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not my boss really wanted me doing that was was another story.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, one of the questions I like to ask, Travis, are um, is what books you're reading? Because I'm always interested in hearing what what people are reading because it's almost like a a window into the topics and the things that that you are interested in so are there uh, are you someone who who reads two or three books at one time or do you like to stick to one
1: uh yeah usually it's two or three or or more um yeah i i love i love reading i, I love i do a lot of audiobooks. uh you know when i'm out out training um you know i Enjoy that, or maybe driving along, you know. Instead of listening to the radio, I'll, you know, have an audio book going. I'm I'm just pulling up my, my Audible here. Uh, You know, I've got a bunch here. The uh, one I I just started recently is called, uh, Saved: How I Quit Worrying About Money and Became the Richest Guy in the World. Uh, This is got by a guy named Ben Hewitt, um, who uh, lives in in, on a farm in rural Vermont. He's written some, uh, really really cool books. I, I read this one before and now I'm, now I'm doing it again. Uh, cause I, I, liked it. Uh, he's got another one called homegrown. That was really good about kind of a, uh, neat, unique outdoor based, uh, system of, of educating his children. Uh, just got through grit by Angela Duckworth. Many people are probably familiar with that. That's a good one. Uh, got tribes by Seth Godin, primal endurance, uh, by Brad Kearns and Mark Sisson. I I really liked uh, that one. That's great. Uh, You know, training, nutrition, mindset sort of stuff. Let's see wealth. uh, uh, How I learned to build a life. Uh, Sorry, I'm, (laughs) I can hardly see Well, the the title is wealth. W E L L T H uh, by Jason uh, Wachow. That was cool. Uh, I really like ego is the enemy by Ryan holiday. Uh, Let's see. Positivity. That's kind of a positive psychology sort of book. Uh, Flourish, another positive psychology book. Authentic Happiness by Seligman, another psychology type book. Uh, Really like Mindset by Dweck. Uh, Will It Fly? This is a kind of entrepreneurial book by Pat Flynn, kind of a neat, uh, neat, uh, you know, online kind of guy uh, the art and science of low carb performance, uh, neat, um, kind of diet book. So anyway, that's a bunch of them. I, 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 really like books I like constantly, uh, constantly
0: learning. Yeah. I love all the social psychology books. I'm reading a book right now called the wisest person in the room. And it's a social psychology book about what, um, you know, the lessons that we can take from psychology to become wiser and make okay. better decisions. And so it's really, it's really interesting stuff.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. I I love that kind of stuff too. And, you know, I, you know, I, I don't by any means, you know, presume to try to be a, you know, psychologist or professional sports psychologist or anything like that, but I, I love reading that stuff. And, you know, when it's couched in these kind of, you know, more mainstream books, it's, Probably a bit more digestible than you know an academic
0: textbook or something. Yeah, it's much more accessible, and I I, I like that because uh, you know occasionally I'll read a book that is very dense. I read a book called Superintelligence by Nick Bostrom, and this is really showing how much of a nerd I am. It's a book all about uh, super artificial intelligence and how we're oh. entering an era where you know the uh, power of our AIs is becoming so much that in the future we might create an AI that is as generally intelligent as a human being. And, yeah, you know, yeah. this is everything in terms of like wisdom, its ability to deceive you, social skills, seduction, wow. all kinds yeah. of crazy uh, uh, areas that we normally assign to to human thought and the human brain. But uh, yep. with the you know, explosion of digital technology and our understanding of AI. We're rapidly coming into an era where this might be possible. And so the book is really goes into, you know, how we might get there, how it might help us, and how it might even be an existential threat. So if anyone is a huge nerd, then I highly recommend Superintelligence. Uh, on the front cover, there's a quote from Bill Gates that says, "I highly recommend this book." And uh, I know that uh, entrepreneur Elon Musk is also very worried about this threat of superintelligence. intelligence. So uh, I, I remember talking to uh, Nick Simmons on the first episode of the podcast, and he, we were geeking out about mm-hmm. Elon Musk and the future and things. So uh, this is another window into uh, that side of my geekery. Okay, Travis, we have covered a lot today, <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> everything from social psychology to uh, existential threat robots to how you are really crushing it in the endurance space so thank you so much for being here uh i hope everyone checks out your book the ultra mindset and endurance champions eight core principles for success in business sports and life i have my copy right here let me check is this a signed copy oh it is i think you yeah you did sign this for me well thank you Travis. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah well thank, thank you jason It's it's been uh, great to be along i mean i i always love hearing from people whether that's on facebook i'm um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, My website is is travismacy.com. There's there's a forum on there. You know, there's stuff about the the coaching, the the distance learning course on on mindset that I told you about. That's kind of my latest uh, latest venture, and that's that's been a lot of fun and psyched uh, psyched to keep that going. So, uh, yeah, keep in touch. It's uh, really really been good. And and again, congrats to you on on this uh, awesome podcast. And I'm I'm honored to be a part of it.
0: Well, my pleasure, Travis. Thanks for everything that you do. I always love seeing all the different projects that you have in the works. And uh, thank you again for coming on the podcast. No problem. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. I really appreciate that. And I know Travis would like to hear from you too. So if you enjoyed our conversation, head on over to Twitter. His handle is very simple. It's Travis Macy. And let him know that you had fun listening to our chat. And finally, Be sure to check out strengthrunning.com podcast for a list of every episode, a blog post for each episode, and more importantly, the show links, resources, and notes. So if you want to check out any of the books, websites, and more that we talk about in any of our episodes, it's all there for you. Thanks again, and we'll be in touch soon.